Good morning to each one. So I'm going to speak more this morning about the Holy Spirit relating to that. This is going to be one more piece to the puzzle, I guess. It's not going to be a, you know, I had a lot of feedback, like I said, and a lot of discussion on my message on the Holy Spirit before. And I want to expand on that a little bit this morning. Um, My sermon title is Godly Decision Methods. So I want to talk about making good decisions and what process we take to make a good decision. And then I want to talk about later about God speaking to us. So this isn't going to answer all your questions this morning, and it might even stir up some more. So um, I guess, sorry about that. (laughs) And one thing I wanted to say, and I don't know if I said this earlier or not, but uh, some people have built their faith around an experience that they had. Like maybe they lost a loved one and really felt God's closeness during that time. Or maybe something else happened, and they had an experience, and they built their faith around that. I don't intend to tear that down. Like I said, I believe that God does speak to us. Maybe just not exactly like um, it's brought out sometime, or the way some people do it. I believe there's a a more secure foundation to build on than an experience, though. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 44. This is a a fascinating story. And if you want to know how we should live with inside of God's will or God's direction, and if you want to if you want to see that or how that works of God leading us and and bringing things into our lives and and accomplishing something great with your life. If you want an example of that, read the story of Joseph. It's, it's amazing, but he said something in here to his brothers that fascinated me, and it kind of brings out maybe the contrast a little bit. So if you're in Genesis chapter 44, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of the story. So obviously Joseph was faithful. God had him, gave him a couple dreams when he was young, and then his brothers hated him, and they sold him into slavery, and he served at Potiphar's house, and he was faithful there. He was faithful where God had him. And from that point on, Joseph had no control over his life. And in that aspect, it's a little bit different than us. We can make decisions that affect where we go in life. Joseph had no control over that. So he was a slave in Potiphar's house, but he was faithful and he did well. And then he was falsely accused, got thrown in prison. But he was faithful in prison. And... When he was in prison, he interpreted some dreams, and through that, became second in command. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream, and and Joseph interpreted that. And he told Pharaoh, so when Pharaoh came to him, Pharaoh said that, I've heard that, you know, you you can interpret dreams. And... Previous to that, Pharaoh had went to all of his wise men, all of his, uh, you know, people that could, you know, had a familiar spirit, or I forget how it's worded, but he had went to all these people, and they couldn't figure out the dream. And so when Joseph came, he said that he heard that Joseph could do this. And Joseph said, no, it's not me, it's the Lord. And then God revealed it to Joseph. 
and then his brothers. So Joseph then saves Egypt, right? He stores up all this grain. He's faithful. And then his brothers show up. And Joseph devises this incredible plan, well thought out, elaborate, even you know, speaking through a translator and all this stuff, a way to test his brothers. And so he did that. And he, so he filled their sacks. He accused them of being spies. He kept Simeon. He sent them back, and he put their money back in their sacks and sent them back home. And when, it was a big uproar when they got home and found their money, and they were like, well, now what are we going to do? And they waited till they ran out of money, and then they went back. And so Joseph, again, met with them, and he told his steward to put their, you know, fill their sacks, put their money back in their sacks, and then hide his cup in Benjamin's sack. And so that's what his steward did. And I don't know if it happened before that their money was in their sack. Why wouldn't you check your sack again before you left? But they didn't. They left. And then Joseph said, okay, now run them down. And so the steward of the house went after him. And I'm assuming with a small army or whatever, there was 12 of them. So I'm sure, I'm sure it was a big group that went and captured him and accused him of stealing, the, of stealing Joseph's cup. <clears throat> And I'm going to pick up in verse 6. And he overtook them and spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servant should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks' mouths, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? So they said, We brought the money back. Like we were honest. Let's, you know, how would we have done this? And then they said, With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, let both him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondsmen. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. So the steward agreed to that, that they would die and that the rest of them would be um, their servants. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. So he was, he said, um, I guess he would have said that they, they wouldn't die, they'd be his servants, and the rest of them would go. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground, and opened every man his sack. And he searched, and began at the eldest, and left at the youngest. And the, cat, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes, and laid at every man his ass, and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? Now, Joseph couldn't divine, <laughs> but that's what he told him. You know, basically, Joseph said, I know things. I'm a little bit all-knowing, a little bit all-seeing. Um, you know, you stole that cup, and I knew it. And it terrified his brothers, and Joseph basically, or uh, Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. I just thought that was was so interesting. But that's a lot the way people use the Holy Spirit today, is a way of divining, a way of knowing things, of knowing the future. Dabbling in the spirit world is forbidden. If you go to Leviticus 19, you don't have to. Leviticus 19 and 20 puts those with a familiar spirit and wizards into the same group as those that worship idols and says they need to be stoned. And turn to Deuteronomy 
chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 14. Then, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkeneth unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so, or has not allowed you to do so. And these words describe witchcraft, sorcery, communication with the dead, sort of like what Saul did when he went to that woman and they called up Samuel. Casting spells or having a familiar spirit. And then witchcraft and sorcery, I know for sure, is mentioned in the New Testament. I don't know. I didn't look at the other words to see if they were or not. And I know what you're probably thinking. You're saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't there a difference between... Well, I'm going to ask you that question. Is there a difference? I pray to God, and I hear from the Holy Spirit. Is there a difference between bad witchcraft and good witchcraft? I'm not, I'm not going to... Uh, I'm asking these questions for you to think about. If you have a major decision to make, is there a difference between trying to conjure up the Holy Spirit or conjure up a familiar spirit? Practically, in how it's done... Is there any difference? And is that the process that God wants us to take when we're supposed to make a decision? Something to think about. Now, I want to take the rest of the message and talk about making decisions because this is all, like, a lot of Christian mysticism or divining is centered around making decisions. Like, how do you, how do you make decisions? rarely do you hear someone attributing, like a lot of times you hear somebody say, well, the Holy Spirit led me to say this, or led me to do this, or led me to make this decision, make that decision. Rarely do you hear someone attributing the, or crediting the Holy Spirit with the ability to resist temptation, or helping with forgiveness, or that the Holy Spirit convicted of sin, or giving you peace through suffering, or helping you understand scripture. But that's what the Holy Spirit is for. <clears throat> so, how do you make a decision? How do you make a wise decision versus a foolish decision? Let's say that you and your coworkers are going to go out for lunch. Okay? How do you decide where you're going to go? Do you consult your familiar spirit? <laughs> Um, one thing you might think of, and I've got a couple, couple uh, things to consider. Number one, what are the options? Okay, well, there's a McDonald's a mile down the road, there's a Subway a mile down the road the other way, and there's a Chili's three miles away. Okay, so those are our options. 
what are you hungry for? Well, I'm really hungry for a good burger. Well, then Subway's not the place to go. McDonald's or Chili's, I guess. How much time do you have? Well, if we go to Chili's, that's another four miles of driving, plus we're going to sit there um, and wait a lot longer for our food. Or, you know, it's going to take longer. How much time do you have? Uh, how much do you want to spend going to a more expensive place versus a cheaper place? Where do your coworkers want to go? That factors into the decision, right? Um, <clears throat> are there any other variables? Well, actually, I need a part from the supplier, and if we go up there to my supplier, uh, Mayberry Cafe is right around the corner. That's really good food. Why don't we go there? Well, that makes sense. Let's do that. An easy choice. But there were six things that we just went through real quick in, in making that decision. How is the process... Making decisions is hard. What does the process look like if we're going to go or trying to decide whether we want to buy a new truck? Or whether to, I mean, my wife and I went through this recently, whether to sell our place and buy another one or to build a new house at our place that we had at the, at the time. What would the, the list of options look like? How about whether or not you should homeschool? Or what church you want to go to? What career should I pursue? Should I start my own business? Or how about this one? You're young, just finished school. What should I do with my life? What do I want to do? These, these are life-altering choices that we face, right? And we feel the pressure of that. And there's lots of other pressure, too. There's deadlines. If I want to enroll in this class, if I want to take this course, I have to enroll by January. So I have to make a decision now. <clears throat> if you're looking for a house, I don't know what the housing market's like anymore, but I know like a year or two ago it was tight. And if you, if a house came on the market, the odds of it being on the market the next day were not that great. So if you saw a house, hey, that might be an option for us, you'd have to go look at it that day and make an offer before you leave. <laughs> wow, there's pressure. Sales put on pressure. I like to buy a dump trailer and the other, I don't know, a couple weeks ago I was driving through Napanee and I saw a dump trailer along the side of the road and it was exactly what I wanted. It was, it was used, I think it was, I don't know, two or three years old, but it looked really good. Like it was really clean. It wasn't all beat up. Um, tires looked good. And it was like, I don't know, four or $5,000 cheaper than a new one. And I had the money and it's out there where everybody can see it. And so, you know, trailers like that are in demand, right? People use them and it could sell. Like if I don't, sales opportunity adds pressure. There's all kinds of, yeah, I sit in sales classes. There's all kinds of pressure tactics that you can do to, to get people to sign, sign on the dotted line. <clears throat> you get 5% off if you sign today. And then our pride adds pressure. We don't want to look like a fool. We don't want to make the poor choices. We don't want everybody to see the poor choices that we've made. He paid way too much for that rusty dump trailer. Or, wow, I wonder how homeschooling is working out for him. You know, it's people talk, and our pride adds so much pressure. And our emotions, our feelings add pressure. 
you know, an opportunity might mean great enjoyment, but also great sacrifice. If you think about somebody getting married and starting their own home, like that's an awesome experience. But it's also hard to process all the change and all the, yeah, all, all the change that comes into it, and you miss how it was. Changing jobs can mean higher pay, better benefits. But we miss our old coworkers, and, you know, our feelings are involved in it. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Some people have a knack for making good decisions. Like, an opportunity comes, and they can see clearly, and, yep, that's exactly the opportunity we've been looking for. Yep, we'll do it. And that's as much time as it takes them. Or the opposite of, nope, that's just not a good fit for our family. Nope, we're not going to do that. And some people get lost in the maze. They can get paralyzed. There's too many things to think about, too many options, too many unknowns, too much to think about. Do you see now why mysticism is so attractive? Wouldn't it be great if we could just ask God and he would tell us what to do? Then if it doesn't work out, it's not this guy's fault. Then I don't have to spend the time and mental energy trying to determine the best choice. Then I'm doing the will of the Lord. And you think about that. Someone who is hearing from the Spirit has no need of sound wisdom. And it doesn't matter if it seems like a terrible choice to you, right? They're hearing from the Spirit. That's what God told them to do. So this is how it looks. They have a decision to make, a really hard decision. They'll pray about it. They'll hear from the Lord or have a sense of peace, whatever. The sign they ask for comes to pass, and they make the decision. It's all a mystical process, and and no, no wisdom is put into it. What is the purpose of all the wisdom in Scripture if we're not supposed to use it? Is that... is 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 the mystical way the process God wants us to take in making decisions. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. So Solomon is saying, you know, we're all born senseless. We have to learn wisdom. And Solomon says that this is a hard work, a hard task that is given to us by God. And God intends for us to to apply wisdom and learn it. And Solomon gave himself to the study of wisdom. 1 Kings 4, 29-34. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Azurite and Heman and Chalcol and Darda the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a 1,005. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. 
Does God want us to be wise? Absolutely. Proverbs 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. But what do we need wisdom for if we're not supposed to use it, right? If, if we don't use wisdom in making decisions, what's it for? How about this? Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Doesn't this sound like good wisdom to apply to life? I talked to a, um, well, I was in a, um, had a dealer meeting down in Indianapolis recently, and one of their speakers there has a pretty big heating and cooling company. I think they have five branches. And he was saying that he, his goal is to have a billion-dollar company and they're well over $100 million in sales, which is pretty far from a billion. <laughs> but anyways, he was just saying that that's, that's what his goal is. Like He'd like to get his company to where it's a billion dollars in sales every year. And he knows how many furnace and AC change-outs it takes every day to get there. And you know he's making little decisions every day heading that direction. And there's nothing wrong with having a billion-dollar company. Like, that's not the point. But if your motivation is to get rich, and so you're making decisions to get rich, well, doesn't this speak into that pretty, pretty clearly, pretty strongly? So use wisdom. And God lays out lots of wisdom in Scripture to use for us to make decisions. And he intends for us to use it. And you know how these these decisions are huge and they change our life. Um, I wonder sometimes, like we had, we had looked at a house that needed a bunch of remodeling. This was back before we bought our place in um, Wakarusa. And it was a nice place or whatever, nothing wrong with it. But I wonder, like sometimes I think back, so we didn't end up making an offer on it, but I wonder what life would have been like for me now if we had bought that place. Like just little decisions make a massive change in your life. We would have been in a different community, probably been diff- doing different work. It's just different. <clears throat> I want to change your perspective a little bit. So you think these decisions are stressful and lots of pressure because they can change our life here on earth? Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What, how are you doing in these things? These little, massive, life-altering decisions that we make every day. Does that put where you live, what house you buy, or what job you have in perspective? What, what earthly home what is your earthly home, I guess I should say, in, like, what is the value of that, of having the perfect place to live, the perfect location, the perfect house, the perfect property? What is that in comparison to having a place in heaven? <clears throat> what, is the, what is the value of being in the perfect high-paying job on earth compared to the reward of being a peacemaker? What is the comparison between living in comfort here on earth versus being comforted in heaven? What is the value of seeing the seven wonders of the world when the pure in heart get to see God? Those are the life-altering choices. And I believe those are where you're probably going to see the work of the Holy Spirit the most. These are life-altering. And I want to talk about, yeah, more of the Holy Spirit's work and this kind of stuff later. In thinking about the will of God, or what, what does God want from us, I want you to grasp this. Like, so God made the whole world, right? He made the North Pole and the South Pole, and he made everything in between. Do you think that you can live out this list anywhere in the world. You probably can, right? So just pick where you want to live. <clears throat> you can probably do these things, whether you work at the gas station, whether you work at uh, for Nate, or whether you work for me, or whether you work wherever you work. You can probably do this list. It probably doesn't matter where you work. Just pick, pick which job you want to do. Decide how many children you can handle. But in these decisions, use scriptural wisdom. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we get to just choose and do whatever we want. That's not the point. The point is there's wisdom here that helps us make those decisions. And I want to read a couple of verses that, as an example. Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. Does that sound like good wisdom that we can apply? <clears throat> Proverbs 21, verse 4. And high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 127, verses 3 through 5. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children in the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Proverbs 21, verse 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. 
How about that for, uh, did somebody say amen? I, I almost, <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> Some people believe that God's will is like a tightrope, you know, and we have to take the right step and be at the right place at the right time. And any misstep, any hesitation, and we fall off, we fall out of God's will. <clears throat> An example of this is if, I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a young man saying this or not, but, or the idea that, that God has a specific person for you to marry, okay? God has a specific one, and you need to go find it. Go find her or him or whatever. Like, I don't know if you've heard that before, but that, this, that's a good example of this, this tightrope, that you have to find the right one. But is that what Scripture says? I off the top of my head, there's only one rule in Scripture that you'd be not unequally yoked, right? And then I think God leaves it up to us. You want to marry a brawling woman? You go right ahead, and you're going to find out what it's like. <laughs> so use wisdom. You know, you're looking for a wife or a husband? Use wisdom. Read about the, um, the virtuous woman. And actually, you know, these... This tightrope idea is really bad. I mean, imagine if you would be counseling somebody and say, oh, I'm sorry, you guys are just having marriage trouble, and it's, it's because you married the wrong person, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Wow. And then go and counsel the next person and say, well, the person that you were supposed to marry married somebody else, so you're just not going to be happy in life. I'm sorry. Like, that's not right. I believe that God's, God's will is more like a pasture. So he's given us some boundaries to live inside. But do you think that it matters whether you are a missionary in Haiti or a missionary in Jamaica or a missionary in China or a missionary in Goshen, Indiana? Do you think that it matters to God or does it matter to God that you're doing this list in Matthew chapter 5 and that you are being faithful where you're at? Now, you might be wondering, well, then does the Holy Spirit work in these decisions? And absolutely he does. But we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> no, don't do this to me. Uh, it, can, it can make it seem like, well, I'm just saying you can do whatever you want. And that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have wisdom. Let's use it. That's the process that God calls us to use. Any, any type of mysticism is, I believe, forbidden or not, not good. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is involved. Like, for example, I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know. A lot of times we don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or not. But what are the odds? Daniel had to talk about the Reach Out magazine this morning. What are the odds that he would work for somebody that brought up the Reach Out magazine and how he read it? And that's an encouragement to us, the ones that send it out, right? <laughs> like, how did that happen? How, how is it possible, the story of Joseph? Like, Joseph had nothing to do with it. He had no clue, and it, he didn't know until the end when it was done, when he had his brothers around him, and he said that God meant it for good. And, and he had no clue. But man, did, you know, we can see the whole picture, and we can see how God worked, and every, even, like, throwing him in the pit, and even selling him to the Ishmaelites. Like, God worked in every single thing, and God does. It's just not up to us to, d to divine or to try to figure it out, I, I think. <clears throat> Were there times about visions and when God communicated with his people? Absolutely. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that 
talk about that later. I want to, two things I want to hit on um, before I close. Uh, the cost of mysticism. You might think, well, what does it hurt? You know, somebody's trying to be close to God. They're trying to follow the Holy Spirit. Like, there's a lot worse things they could do in life, right? At least they're not going down to the bar or, you know, involved in all this other wickedness. Um, like, what, why address it? What, what's the point? Um, it, it can discourage someone from trying to be close to God, maybe. And I, I've got uh, four things, and there may be more. It's just four things that I thought about that Christian mysticism does. <clears throat> the first one is, is that it lessens the importance of Scripture. So why do we need Scripture if we can just ask God? Think about this. Somebody said, and I forget who it was or where I saw it, but if personal revelation disagrees with Scripture, then it's wrong, right? And we would all say, yeah, that's, that's true. If, if personal revelation disagrees with Scripture, then it's wrong. But if it agrees with Scripture, then is it necessary? What's the point if it's already here? So it, mysticism takes away the deep study of Scripture and reading things in context and understanding what Scripture is saying. Number two, the Bible is the unchanging Word of God written to all people. And we, again, that's what we would say. The Bible is unchanging. It says the same thing in Mandarin, in Thai, in Russian, in Spanish. It's all interpreted. At least I hope it says the same thing. I can only read my English one. But that's the point. The Word of God is unchanging, and it's the same for all, for all people. But mysticism changes that. <clears throat> Suddenly we're all on our own journey to truth. What God tells me is different than what he tells others. And along with that, discipleship is dead. Like, how can you go and disciple somebody if they've heard from the Lord? And what's the point, right? <clears throat> Number three, it makes us fools. Instead of growing in wisdom and learning and applying scripture, we just wait for the next revelation. And that's all, that's all we do. We don't need to know wisdom. We just do the next thing God asks us. And, and to help you understand this, how would it be, there's a lot of parents in this room that have raised up children, how would it be if every single time your child had to make a decision, they would come and ask you? <clears throat> that would drive me up the wall. Imagine that. They're 20 years old and they call you on the phone. Um, what do you think I should wear this morning? Um, what do, you, do you think I should try to be at work on time? Like, you should know this stuff, right? <laughs> you should do this. <clears throat> and number four, it takes away our, our manhood or our humanity or our womanhood. God told Job, in relating to him, God told Job to stand up and answer like a man. Like, take some responsibility. Have dominion over creation. We, God created us with a, with a free will, and this takes that all away. And I think this is the saddest part for me, or the, the one, I don't know, really passionate about this, that imagine the honor that God gets. Like, he created us with a free will, and imagine the honor that God gets of when we have a decision to make, and we use godly wisdom out of Scripture, and we make a wise choice. 
wow, I bet God's really pleased with us. Same as if we'd be pleased with our child that would make a really wise choice, right? Wow, you know, they were listening, they paid attention, they made a wise choice. <clears throat> but that all goes away with mysticism or divining. We're created to be, not be passive, but active, decision makers, having authority, having, I don't know, how do you say that? (laughs) But it makes us weak. So here's some advice for you if you're making decisions. So grow in wisdom, obviously. Read the Bible, study it. Studying in context. And a lot of times you'll find yourself in the story. Like, wow, the thing that I'm dealing with and trying to find wisdom in is something that's in Scripture, that somebody dealt with the same thing. And then apply what you read. Pray and ask for wisdom. Pray for guidance. And again, talk more on later what that would look like. Um, Get the whole picture. So it's really helpful for me, especially with a big decision, to make lists. Like, what... What do I like about this? What do I not like about this? And write it down. Trying to keep that all in my head is really hard. So that's, that's really helpful for me to, to list it out. And try to remove the pressure. You know, try to be preemptive as much as you can. If you're looking to buy a house and the housing market's tight, make a list of what you want in a house. Make a list of things that you absolutely will not have in your house <laughs> so that when something comes available then you can quickly know because you've you've worked through a lot of the decision ahead of time so be preemptive when possible and then pressure tactics um, if if you respond poorly to pressure tactics maybe understanding when you're under pressure can be helpful um, to just say wait wait this this is not good um, and to try not to fall for that. And obviously, humility is helpful if pride is is causing you stress. And then, if you're feeling overwhelmed, and, and, and decisions here on earth seem like, you know, these are massive decisions that's just going to change our life forever, go and read Matthew chapter 5 again, and re- reorder your mind of, of what's important. The things that are are the most important. And then trust God in his leading. Uh, seek counsel. Seek counsel of those that are maybe wiser or that, you know, and that's not just, you know, seeking counsel can be a really good thing because people think of things that I don't. And, hey, here's what I'm thinking about this. Does that make sense? Well, what about, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, so seeking counsel can be a really good, really good thing. We can't divine, but we know the one who is divine, right? The one who is all-powerful, and he's in control. And I think we need to trust him as, as best we can. Well, I think that's it. Um, yeah, think about this. Again, I'm going to talk about it more, so I'm sure you still have questions. Um, yeah, think about it. Think deeply about it. Um, Talk to your friends about it. And I'd like to hear your thoughts as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, just thank you for being a good God, for being in control of our lives, for caring about the little details. And thank you, Lord, for working, um, just like in Joseph's life, how 
you just ordered everything, and it was all out of Joseph's control, but you arranged everything, every detail. And Lord, I thank you for doing that in our lives too. Thank you for being um, just all-powerful and all-knowing. And I pray, Lord, that you know it's so tempting for us to want to be that as well. And we try to, I don't know, use different methods to to see into the future or, yeah, in, in these decisions that we make, we don't always use good, uh, good godly wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that we would change that, that we would learn to trust in your word, that we would um, be honoring to you in our decisions, that we would um, bring our, our stresses and our, these, these choices to you, um, and I thank you, Lord, for caring and for working. And I pray, Lord, that we would trust your divine hand in our lives. Look, we can't see the future, but you can. And I pray, Lord, that, that we could just trust you with that. In your name, amen.